Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be up here preaching God's word. It's good to be gathered together with God's people, but it's even better to be gathered here in the presence of God. And because we are gathered together in the presence of God, that means that anything is possible. And that which you thought was broken beyond repair, and that which you thought that was beyond your reach, and that which you thought could never happen in your life, all of a sudden goes from impossible to possible because with God, all things are possible and all things are possible to them who believes. And so I say that with emphasis because, watch this, I believe that God wants to stir your hearts to believe again, to hope again, and to know that God is not finished with what you thought was over. Amen? Well, if you're just joining us, we have been on a series called Marked. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life of David and how God marked him at a young age and had called him uh, to be king. But it wasn't until 15 years after the call that David stepped into the thing that God called him to. And if David teaches us anything, it's to trust that God goes before us and that he's working everything both for our good and also for his purpose, even when there's nothing that gives evidence to it. But now watch this, church. For you and I, we don't need the evidence. The only evidence that we need is faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the what? Evidence of things not seen. And I think this is an important point right here that needs to be taught because a lot of people have given up on their dreams. They settle for less than best of what God has purposed for them simply because they don't see how that thing could possibly change. But you see, this is where we have to see through lens of faith rather than just seeing the way that things are in the natural. Y'all with me? Y'all awake this morning? All right, make sure. Now, I want us to pick up with where we left off with David. If David's life were, were broken into thirds, I guess you could say that today's message would be the third part of his life. And I felt like that it was vital that we talk about the third part of his life or else we would only get a picture of what needs to be known in regards to those who are marked and called by God. You see, David's life teaches us a lot of things. But as we'll see today, some of those lessons are the ones that teach us what not to do. And so this morning, I want us to pay special attention to the choices that David made in the third part of his life. How many of you know that if life is anything, it's a series of choices that we make? And those choices can oftentimes support or sabotage our destiny. And we see this truth right here played out in the life of David. Now, David's life has been one that's always been interesting to me, especially whenever you study the contrast between David's destiny and his decisions. Here's what I mean. We know that God had marked David, that he was purposed by God to be king. And it was something that was established even before the foundation of the world, just like you and I. Our purpose has been established before the foundation of the earth, right? That's what's true about our purpose. It's what's true about our destiny. But as you look throughout the timeline of David's life, we see how David's decisions affected not only his life, but even an entire nation. 
And so the first point that I want to share with you this morning, for those of you who are marked and called by God, and you are marked and called by God, is this. It's about you, but it's not just about you. That's a good place to say amen. Whenever God marks a man or a woman, that marking will affect their life, but it will also affect the lives of others. And this is true in every area of life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your parenting, or in the workplace. The choices that you make, they will affect you, but it will also affect others. And we see the evidence of this in David's life. And so I want us to look at some of the decisions that David made in the third and the final part of his life. And I want us to do so in conjunction with our own decision making. Because decisions determine destiny. Or let me say it another way, just in case you don't agree with that. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so the phrase decision-making really is just another way of asking, what are you sowing? Because that will determine what you're going to reap. Now, here's the thing about David's life. David made some really great decisions. But David also made some really foolish ones as well. But I think this is why I find myself being able to relate to David because there are seasons in my life that I'm batting 400, but then there are other times that I seem to constantly strike out. Come on, can anyone relate this morning? But before we look at some of the decisions that David made, I want us to just first look at something that David said at the end of his life. In Psalm 37, verse 23, he said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Now, you heard me just say that verse a minute ago. I love this verse uh, for, for many reasons. I love, uh, love it because, first of all, it tells me that my life is destined. That there is an outcome that God has already determined for my life, or else he wouldn't have put me here on this earth. And watch this, I believe that when it seems like it, but I also believe it when there's no evidence to support my belief. Let me explain what I mean. Like in the court of law, you present the evidence, then the judge delivers the verdict. But faith works the opposite way. God has already established a verdict, an outcome for your life. And now as a child of God, we gather evidence to support the verdict that God has already determined. Come on, look at the person next to you and say, the verdict is in. The verdict is in. See, I already know that God is good. I already know that he is for me. I know that God has called me to be more than a conqueror. I already know that he's going to supply all my needs in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory. And it's important that we know this because what I have found is that people will usually gather evidence to support the verdict that they've already determined in their heart. But understanding that God has already determined the verdict brings about freedom and it empowers you to live the life that God has called you to. David said the steps of a good man, of a righteous man or woman, they're ordered of the Lord and he delighteth in his way. And see, what's interesting about this verse right here is that everything in David's early life, it seems to contradict the conclusion that he came to at the end of his life. 
I mean, if you look at his early life after God marked him and anointed him to be king, he didn't step into that appointment right away. And we talked about this in our previous messages, but I just feel the need to remind you that most always there's a gap between what God shows you and when you experience it. And that's why the prophet Habakkuk said it this way. The vision is for an appointed time. Meaning that there's a high probability that that thing is not going to happen right away. Now, David was anointed by Samuel when he was marked by God. His life didn't seem as if it was ordered by the Lord. As a matter of fact, it seemed as if King Saul was the one who was calling the shots and determined David's next move more so than God. I mean, it appears as if David was moving further away from his calling as king rather than close to it. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you can relate. Because there are some things that God has spoken to your heart, but time has passed and you haven't seen any evidence of those things. Maybe you feel like that you're further away from your dreams than the day that they were first conceived in your heart. Well, I just want to speak this to you. Your story is not over. I'm going to say it again with authority. Your story is not over. So I want us to look at the third part of David's life. And we're going to do so by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 1. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we find David at a place called Ziglag. Which is a surprising place to find David because here's the future king of Israel and he's at Ziglag, which was Philistine territory, which was Israel's enemy. And so here we have David at the border of Philistia and Israel, wondering what God is going to do next. And he just gets news that King Saul is dead, which you would think would cause him to celebrate, right? I mean, because here's the guy that's been chasing him. Here's the guy that's been trying to kill him for years. But David mourns his death. Now, in case you didn't know, the Bible says that Saul fell on his own sword. And I think that that's symbolic in that we don't have to fight in the natural the things that are coming against us. If God is for us, if God is fighting our battles on our behalf, then he'll cause that thing that's coming against us to fall on its own sword. Are you with me? Now, make no mistake about it. David was a warrior, and he could have taken Saul out. As a matter of fact, we read about this last week. He had the opportunity to take Saul out when he was hiding out in a cave with David and his boys. But he didn't. And he didn't because David knew that Saul was God's anointed. And so he knew that taking Saul's life was off limits. Now, this is one of those decisions that David, he, he could have made that certainly would have seemed to have put an end to his problems. And again, as we read last week, some of David's own people even encouraged him to go through with it. But hear this. You don't ever want to go outside of obeying God to get something because you'll have to stay outside of God in order to keep it. Friends, don't take matters into your own hands because the best result you'll get is the best that you can do. But when you trust it to God, then it will be the best that God can do. 
And so David gets news of Saul's death. He doesn't throw a party. But the Bible actually says that he goes into a, a time of, of fasting and mourning. He, he wept. But then we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And we see David taking the next step that God has ordered for his life. As a matter of fact, I think that there is a lesson right here in the transition between chapter 1 and chapter 2. In that, that there comes a time when we've wept and we've mourned long enough. But then it's time to move forward with what God has for our life. To take that next step. Which I think is an applicable word for many of you whom you have mourned and wept. Yet now it's time to move forward with what God has determined for you. Just like it was time for David to take that next step. I mean, now we've got Saul who's dead. All of that now is behind him, and it's time for him to begin to start walking in the calling that God has ordained for his life. And so now I want us to look at what David does. Turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, in the course of time. Now, before I finish this verse here, let me just give a little bit of a highlight into this introduction. The scripture says, in the course of time. When we talk about decision-making and trusting God that he has our steps ordered, any conversation that we have about trusting God must also include trusting God's timing. You see, God's plans and his purposes for our lives will come in the course of time. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked up the phrase in the course of time in the Hebrew and found out that it meant two months from now? <laughs> Well, I looked it up, I promise you, it doesn't. Actually, the, the phrase actually means after. You say, well, after what? Well, that right there's the question now, isn't it? The prophet Miyagi says, after, after. I'm just going to leave that out there. Those of you that have ears, let them hear. <laughs> Let's finish the verse. 2 Samuel 2, 1. It says, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. And the Lord says, go up. And David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up. I love the example that David gives us here because while we may not be on the journey to becoming king, the principles that guided David and led him to the destiny, his destiny are the same for us. Like the stakes may not be the same, but the principles are no different. Before David takes one step, the scripture says that he inquired of the Lord. How many of you have heard of the phrase starting out on the right foot? Well, inquiring of the Lord before you take one step is starting out on the right foot. Leaning on your own understanding of things, that's starting out on the wrong foot. But you see, this is part of the decision-making process. We have to trust whether we're going to look unto God, or whether we think that we can navigate it on our own. Now watch this, because I've seen so many people say, well, you know, pastor, and I have heard this many times, you know, I, I've done pretty good. I mean, I hear what you're saying about all this God stuff, but I've navigated my life pretty good without God, and everything seems to work out just fine. Watch this. That's because they've never encountered any real storms in their life. Are you hearing me? Because you watch whenever the storm comes up against you that you can't navigate, then what are you going to do? 
It's easy to navigate whenever there are beautiful blue skies and you're in open waters and everything's calm. But what are you going to do whenever those dark clouds come rolling in and the wind and the waves are upon you? Several years ago, I went and bought a John boat. And after going out and boating several times, I thought I was a captain. Like I knew everything that there was to know about boating. Now, it just so happened that one day I took a good friend of mine out fishing who actually did know some things about boating. And it was a good thing because that day we were far from the dock and a bad storm came quickly upon us. And how many of you know that that's typically how it happens in life? Like we're given little to no warning of when trouble comes banging on our door. And if you're not prepared when it comes, you could be in big trouble. And so my buddy Josh, who knew the waters well, discerned that our boat couldn't handle all of the wind and the waves that were crashing against us. And so he steered us to a nearby dock where he tied off the boat with some kind of Boy Scout knot that made my head hurt just watching it. But it saved my boat, and we were able to get to safety until the storm passed. Now, as is with any story, you just have to appreciate how intense that moment was. But can I just tell you that that experience, it taught me some valuable lessons about the decision-making process. And the first lesson is, if I could just maybe borrow the words of the late, great Rich Mullins, is that we are not as strong as we think that we are. Listen, we're to have confidence, but our confidence It's not to rest in our ability, but rather on what God has spoken. And I know that we live in a culture that says, you know, and celebrates uh, self-confidence. But understand this, choosing to lean on your own understanding will never allow us to arrive at God's appointed destination for our life. Then the second lesson that I learned is I learned to read the forecast. What I mean is, God will usually give you some indicators in your life as to what you should or what you shouldn't do. And by the way, you may not want to hear this, but if you're married, experience has taught me that one of the best forecasters is your spouse. Oh, yeah. Because he or she has a pulse on your life unlike any other person, and we are foolish if we allow our pride to keep us from hearing what they're saying to us. But there's also other signs that God will send that directs our steps along the way. But wouldn't it be great if God just gave the specificity that he gave to David? Go to Hebron. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Then there are times that God will speak like that, okay? I mean, there will be times that God will give you that specificity and be uh, very clear in what he speaks to our hearts. But I found that everyday life demands that we read the signs. And when you see that a forecast is showing that a storm is coming, don't run straight towards it. Hello? And I feel like that I could just talk on this point right here and spend a whole message addressing it because the most frequent hits that we get in life aren't the ones that we don't see coming, but they are the ones that we do, or at least the ones that we should have seen. They're the ones that we ignore, even though we we see them coming, or even worse, we welcome them. 
I think that's where the phrase may come from, we're a glutton for punishment. But now having said that, because I think this is the other side of the coin, there are some storms that are unavoidable, unavoidable and, and so I get that. Which brings me to the third lesson that I've gained from my experience. When those storms come, it's good to have the right person in your boat. Come on, church, I'm talking about having community right now. I'm talking about those who will lead you in the ways of God and those that will pray down heaven on your behalf. This is the reason that I tell people who have recently given their lives to Christ that one of the most important things that they could do is to surround themselves with other believers. You know what I used to teach in the first 10 years of my ministry? I would tell people that once they have surrendered their life to Christ, that they need to find their purpose. You say, oh, that sounds good, pastor. Let's preach that. But you know, I found that there was something missing in between two. And that's why we have our core values of Christ community cause. We don't just have Christ and cause, but we have community. And so I tell people the first thing that they need to do is not to find their purpose, but to find their people. Because if you'll find your people, you'll find that ultimately your purpose is rooted in your people. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one is there to lift up his companion. But woe to him. This is one of the times in the Bible when it says woe. It's like, hello, listen for what's being said here. Woe to the one who falls when there's not another one there to lift him up. We need to surround ourselves with good godly people that can help us navigate this thing called life. Remember, the only time that God said that something was not good was when man was alone and by himself. But now let's go back to David because David's stories are way more epic than mine, okay? David asked God where to go next. And I just want to bring clarity to something. By me saying inquire of God before you make the next step, I'm not saying that that means that you have to pray about where you're going to go have dinner on date night, Okay? I'm not saying that you got to pray about whether you need to go to work on Monday morning or not, or whether you need to take a shower or not. Are, are, are you with me? You see, I found that if I'm walking in God's ways, then I'm going to know what his will is for my life. So many people, and I hear this so many times from people that say, man, I just don't know what God's will is for my life, and I don't know if I'm in God's will. Watch this. God is too big to miss. Like if your heart is after him, your steps are ordered. He's going to see to it that you're going to fall in line with what he has destined for you. Quit being fearful, thinking that the will of God is this mysterious thing that we just can't grab a hold of. No, if your heart is after God, he's going to see to it that you're walking in the thing that he has purpose for your life. And some of you are already walking in it, and you think that you're not walking in it. And I feel this prophetically, and it's not in my notes, but to let you know, you are where you're supposed to be, Right? Because we get so focused on the grass being greener on the other side. And God's like, I planted you there. Quit looking at your neighbor's yard. Matter of fact, I've always found, and I've heard this saying, I don't remember who said it, or who to attribute it to, but if your grass looks like, if that over there it looks better, then maybe tend to your own yard. Water it. Amen? Just saying. So David goes up. And here's the interesting thing. David, I think, already had an indication of where God wanted him to go. I mean, that's why that he said to the Lord, shall I go up to one of the cities in Judah? 
So there's already a little bit of a leaning there. And so he asks the Lord, he says, should I go up there? And the Lord says, yeah, go up. You see, God will order our steps as we delight in his way. As long as we walk in his statutes and as long as we live in accordance and in obedience to his word. Remember, his word is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And you've heard me say this many times, but I feel like it bears repeating. God wants you to get where he wants you to go more than you want to get where he wants you to go. Now, when it comes to looking at David's life, it appears as if the first and the second part of it were kind of flawless, like for the most part. I mean, the only bad decision that we see David doing is cutting off a corner of Saul's robe, which then he immediately repented. But now, David is king. He's won the hearts of his people, and he's continued to win victory after victory against enemy nations. But it's at this point that we start seeing David making some bad decisions. And he eventually got to the point in his life where he thought, I got this. And I think a lot of people get to the place to where they're tempted to think and believe, I got this. I mean, I know I shouldn't be flirting with that guy or that girl at the gym because I'm married, but I got this. I know that I shouldn't be at the bar because I know my tendencies for alcohol, uh, but all the boys invited me, but I got this. I know I shouldn't be buying that $60,000 car because I can only afford a $15,000 car, but I got this. But the problem with the phrase, I got this, is that it's a mirage. It's a lie. I mean, when did we ever think that we had control of anything in our life? Even if you had control of it for a period of time, you can't keep it outside of God's grace, God's strength, and God's wisdom. I think this is where we just put the overwhelming theme to this message of decision-making, and that is to know that he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning of our life, and he's the God who is also over the end of our life. Don't think that what God began in the spirit that you can fulfill or continue to do in the flesh. I read this last week in Galatians 3.3 where Paul says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And you know, the, the, the rhetorical question there, when he says, are you so foolish? He said, this is pretty dumb if you do this because it's not going to work out the way that you think that it's going to work out. Now, this word right here, can I just say, this is a word for those that have been walking with Christ for some time because typically we don't see new believers falling into this trap. It's those of us who have been walking with Christ for some period of time who think that we could go periods and days without spending time in prayer, without spending time uh, in his presence and reading his word and think that that is okay. And so we become like the Israelites who think that they could live on yesterday's manna. But Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you're here this morning and what I just said to you in that last minute doesn't make sense to you, that's okay. This particular point isn't for you. But for those that it is for, you completely understand what I just said. David finds himself at a place where he thinks that he can make decisions on his own. 
that he no longer has to consult with God as he did in his youth. The same guy who inquired of the Lord before he made the first step, now he's 20 years older. He's been publicly recognized as king for 13 years, and he's experienced much success. Let's keep reading the story, 2 Samuel 11. Then it happened. (laughs) And how many of you know that it happens? I'm just saying it does. And if it happened to David, what makes us think that it isn't going to happen to us? Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. The David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, I've preached on this very scripture before in years past, but I want to approach it from a little bit different angle. Here we have David enjoying a successful run as king. He's put God first in everything that he's done, and as a result, he's seeing the blessing of God on his life. But something entered into David's mind that led him to believe that he could dodge his responsibility as king. Because the Bible says that this was the time that kings should go out to battle. But David chose to not go and to stay back at Jerusalem instead. Now, we don't know exactly why David decided to stay stay back. Maybe David just thought, well, he was king and... He could do whatever he wanted to. He knew that no one could question. (laughs) Sounds like some pastors that I know. I just had to throw that out there. (laughs) Or maybe David stayed back at Jerusalem simply because he was tired. I mean, after all, the guy has been fighting a lot, and he's been winning battles after battles, so maybe he just didn't want to fight anymore. Kind of like a lot of marriages that I see. It's just easier to stay back at Jerusalem. It's just easier to check out, to say, I'm tired of fighting. Or like a lot of parents to say, I'm tired. It's just easier to give in and let them do whatever they want instead of having the continual fight. But church, write this down. There are some things in life that are worth fighting for, no matter how difficult the battle. So don't stop fighting. God didn't bring you this far to have you stop now. You see, David's choice, and it was a choice, to disengage from battle, it opened the door for sin in his life. David was where he shouldn't have been. And as a result, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2, it says, then it happened late one afternoon, When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. How many of you know that the enemy knows what weaknesses he's going to bring across your path? Because it may not be lust, but you know what? It might be you cheating on your taxes. It may be you thinking, you know what? I've worked for this company for 20 years. It's okay if I take the stapler home and make it my own. I'll borrow it indefinitely. Says she was very beautiful. David sent and inquired of the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So keep this in mind. It wasn't as if David didn't know who she was, right? 
I mean, here we have the servants saying, David, that's, that's Uriah, Wyatt's wife. You, you do realize that, right? Like, that's the guy that's out, you know, fighting uh, on your behalf while you stand back at Jerusalem, David. And so the scripture says that he still goes on, sends for her, and has her brought to him. Now watch this, church. David had an out. Like, he had plenty of time to change his mind. And that's the way that sin works. My friend Louis Giglio said sometimes it starts out like a big garage door that turns down to a French door, to a regular door, to a window, and it gets smaller and smaller. But there was an out. There was an out here for David, and he had plenty of time. Like while the, the servants were, were going to go fetch her to bring him to him, I mean, he could have changed his mind. He could have come up with... Um, any one of a dozen reasons. Like he could have decided, okay, gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and then all of a sudden there's Bathsheba. And he says, Bathsheba, I, I just want to honor your husband for fighting for me. He could, he could have done that. Or he could have done one of a dozen things. But there's a thought pattern that we're starting to see in David's life. And that is that since he was king, and since he was marked and anointed, he thought that he could do whatever he wanted to do. But you need to know that being marked by God doesn't give you the liberty to do whatever you choose and expect God to bless it. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 1, I urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the marking of the calling to which you've been called. You see, you and I, we have been given a mandate to live differently than the world. And the Bible explicitly lays out what that's to look like. Now, you can choose to live differently, but keep in mind that you will bear the consequence of those decisions. David has sex with Bathsheba, and she gets pregnant. Now, that's a problem for David because David knows that he called for Bathsheba, and that Uriah was nowhere around because he was out on the battlefield. And so David comes up with this plan to where he calls for Uriah from the battlefield, brings him in with hopes of maybe giving him some time uh, to rest and to be with his wife. But when Uriah is summoned, he refuses to sleep with his wife while his fellow soldiers are out there fighting. Now, when this plan doesn't work, David says, ah, let me see if I can't get him drunk, thinking that surely then he's going to want to go spend some time with his wife and spend some time doing some extracurricular activity. But still Uriah refuses. So then David devises a plan. He sends Uriah to go back into battle where he's instructed to fight on the front line where he is sure to be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah was sent to the front lines and he was killed. And so now David is also guilty of murder. Do you see how sin works? It starts with a compromise. Actually, even starts prior to that, it starts with a thought, right? And here's the thing. Sometimes you can't stop those thoughts from coming, but I think it's Martin Luther that says you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest there. But, but it starts with that, with that compromise. It starts with being somewhere where you shouldn't be. It starts with a, a thought that is contrary to what God has spoken. And when you entertain it and you give into it, it breeds death. 
I'm not going to read the whole story of David. You can read it later on, and I encourage you to do so. Man, the Bible, I'll tell you what, what, say whatever you want to say about the Bible, but you can't say that it's not interesting. You can't say, I'm telling you what, man, wow. You can't say that it's boring. It's anything but. So you can read about that later on. But David's decisions brought about a lot of consequences, one of which led to his son's death. And David knew it. Because the prophet Nathan, he went to David and he told him by the word of the Lord everything that he had done. Read his mail as we call it, right? And he said that his son would die as a result. Now that may not be user friendly for your theology, but that is exactly what happened. You see, this part of David's life right here, it's difficult and it's difficult to address because it deals with the consequences that our sin brings. But let me just say that not every bad thing that happens is a result of someone's sin. And so I just need to balance this out. Please do not think that that is what I'm saying, okay? There are some things that come as a result of our, our, our bad choices or some things that just come in life anyway. But what we're talking about right here are the bad choices that David made. Now I want us to look at what happens next with David. And this is so key, and I, I hope that you grab hold of this because I think that so many people can relate. And that is because... Just because you've made a bad choice, it doesn't mean that you have to continue making bad choices. Your life doesn't have to be defined by that bad choice either. See, man is the one who pins scarlet letters on others. But God says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them as white as snow. Come on, can we thank God for that? Now let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12. As soon as David hears that his son is dead, in verse 20 it says, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went into his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. And the next thing that we read about here is the birth of the future king of Israel, King David's son, Solomon. See, here's what I love about David's story. David's story is one of redemption. And it's one that I can relate to in my life because I know that I've made bad choices from time to time. Friends, you don't have to be defined by your bad choices. You can choose to either stay down or you could choose to get back up. I love where it says, then David arose from the earth. I think it speaks not only to the physical condition of David, but also the condition of his heart. He knew that he had sinned, but he turned to God. He felt the consequence of his sin, but he didn't allow that to define him. As a matter of fact, one might even say that David was never the same after this encounter. And to that point, I would agree. David wasn't the same. He was better. Yeah. Did David have some scars? Sure he did. But David's heart was more humble. He was more compassionate. And he was more committed to the Lord than ever before. Now, that's not to say that we need to go make bad decisions and hope that God will then redeem them. Are you with me? 
Come on, hear what I'm saying because the Apostle Paul addressed this very point in Romans 6.1 when he says, are we to continue in sin that, God, that grace may abound? God forbid. But if you are here this morning and you've made some bad choices, I want you to know what God's word has to say to you. First John chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, my dear children, and you just love right there the introduction because you know the way that God approaches us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Friends, no matter where you are in life, I want you to know that God can take your story and use it for his glory. And so I just want to end by saying what I know is true about each and every one of you. You are marked. All of your days were destined by God, even before you took your very first breath. Yet what we've got to do is to stay surrendered to Christ, stay submitted to his process, then wait and watch God move. Amen? Amen? Come on, stand your feet with me if you would. Did y'all receive the word this morning? You know, in the New Testament, David is mentioned and referenced 59 times. But probably the one that, that speaks to my heart the most is found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 36, the scripture says, For David served the will of God in his generation, and he fell asleep. The NIV says David served God's purpose in his own generation. Church, I believe that God is sounding an alarm. And he's saying that it's time to awaken to the purpose for which God has called you. You have been marked. And it's time to forget that which is behind you and move forward to that which is before you. Come on, if that's your heart's cry this morning and you want what God's purposed and you're ready and you're willing to say to God, yes, Use me for your glory. If that's you this morning, I just want you to just join me in prayer right now. And we're going to just pray to God this, this prayer of surrender. Come on, join me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are able to take what the enemy meant to use for, for bad in our life and, and work it for the good. We thank you that you don't hold our sins against us because of our faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would set the captive free this morning, free from guilt, free from condemnation and the shame of the past. We're ever thankful for your promise that says that your mercies are new every morning. And I pray that your people, your precious and your treasured creation, that we would see that today is a new day. And may it be said of us that we serve the purpose of God in our generation. For it is in the power and matchless name of Jesus that we pray. And all the saints of God say, let's pray.